Hey everyone, welcome to my so-called business life. I'm your host, Hallie Tally, and uh, this is my first podcast, so I apologize if it's not podcast perfect to start with, but we're going to get there. As I mentioned, I'm Hallie Tally, your host. I own a small business with my husband in Omaha, Nebraska. We are uh, called Nights of Bites. We provide IT support to businesses in that area, and I started this podcast because even though there are a number of really good podcasts out there. In fact, I'll do an episode about that later. Even though there's a number of them that are really good out there, I wanted to start one because I wanted to share the experiences that we were having as they were happening, not only in my business, but with my clients' businesses. And because we're in IT, we get a lot of insight into the operations of businesses. And I will tell you, this podcast is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It is not, do hey, do this one thing, you're going to get 100,000 Insta followers, or you're going to 10x your business. This is literally just about what it's like in a small businesses, the challenges that we face, the successes that we've had, and to share those stories about sales and marketing, relationships, service delivery, communications, IT, but not nerdy IT, of course, so that you can make a better decision or learn from the bad decisions that we've made so that you can help improve your business. It is going to be an interesting journey to do this. I'm slightly anxious about it because I've never been in a room where I'm just talking to myself because that's what I'm doing right now. It's kind of odd. Anyway, today's episode, I want to talk about fear-based fear-based marketing or fear-mongering. And I bring this up because I had an experience last year where sent out a marketing campaign. This was like late September, early October. Sent out a marketing campaign and I get this one prospect. My appointment setter calls after the letter gets mailed. So we send the letter, waits a couple days, makes phone calls. Appointment center calls this one prospect in particular. Guy says, I want to talk to Hallie. She says, great. She's not available right now, but I can have her call you back. What time works for you? He gives her the time. I call him back on the dot. I mean, not a minute or late, not a minute early. He says, Miss Hallie, I want to talk to you about your marketing. I think it's cheap. I don't like that you're using fear in your marketing to try and convince me to do something that I don't need to do. I will never buy your services. Take me off your list. I mean, it, and it's like a 15 second conversation and click. I don't have a chance to even say, how are you doing? It literally was, he went in right, right at the beginning. So it made me really think about what I had sent to him. And I'm going to share with you the campaign uh, in a few minutes, but it made me think about, you know, it, first of all, is what I'm sending that bad to is the strategy that I'm using about what I believe is educating the business really a fear trying to make them make a decision about something? And is it cheapening my services? So I decide, well, I'm going to do some research on fear-based marketing and fear-mongering. So I look up the definition of fear-mongering, and this is what it is. It is the action of deliberately arousing public fear or alarm about a particular issue. The example that they give is his campaign for re-election was based on fear-mongering and deception. Now, the and changes that whole conversation, right? If you just say 
his campaign for re-election was based on fear-mongering. That's one thing. But then you add the word deception, and you've started to plant that seed that fear-based marketing or fear-mongering is not accurate, that it's lies that people are using to get other people to do something that they want them to do. So I do some more research about fear-based marketing and fear-mongering in general. And what I found was there's this father-daughter science duo, uh, the Gormans, Sarah and Jack, that really kind of say that fear is what is considered a pre-rational emotion. And they did this article on The Atlantic. Uh, they did an interview. And it was about their new book, which is called Denying to the Grave, Why We Ignore the Facts That Will Save Us. And they essentially are stating that fear-mongering exploits the very structure of how our brain is wired. And I quote, this is from this uh, interview with The Atlantic. There is good data showing that the first thing that you hear makes the biggest impression and that if it's heard under emotional circumstances, that it's always associated with that emotion. If the first thing you hear about a topic is something that's associated with fear, that will often suppress the rational part of the brain. It will be placed into long-term memory by this more primitive part of the brain, and it turns out to be very, very difficult to dislodge that. So that's interesting. They're essentially saying that if you hear or feel something and it's associated with an emotion, if you hear something and it's associated with emotion, that creates like a hook. It's It stays in your brain that way. And I've seen other research about this, especially around music, that if you're listening to a song when something happens to you that leaves an imprint, every time you hear that song, you will feel that same emotion. So for example, one of the thing, one of the examples that they gave in particular was when people get married and the song that they dance to, their first dance is husband and wife. Anytime they hear that song, immediately they have that same emotion that they felt at the time that they were on the dance floor. So it's kind of been proven that this is really what's happening. So I went and tried to Google, of course I tried to Google this, right? Fear-mongering, how it was used in history. Now, almost every single example that I found was political. So I want to go through just a couple of them because I also found a couple of brands that talked about fear-based marketing too, but I want to go through the political ones. So of course, the number one fear-based political ad that you find is the very first one that's actually been documented, which was in 1964 when then-President Lyndon B. Johnson was up for re-election. And he has what's called the Daisy ad. Now, this ad was so divisive, it only aired one time. And for those of you who may remember it, um, it was something that was kind of imprinted in a lot of people's minds. For those of you who weren't, like myself, the ad essentially was this little girl in this very uh, dystopian landscape. There were uh, nuclear bombs going off. It, it was ugly. It was it was ugly, ugly, ugly. But it, the ad was targeted to the fear that the U.S. voters had about going back to war. In 1964, this is two years after the Cuban Missile Crisis, we're in the middle of the Cold War, just years before we had finished the Korean War, 20 years before that, we're in World War II, um, 50 years before that, we're World War I, so we have a lot of emotion about war associated um, 
with the political landscape. And Lyndon B. Johnson's election campaign essentially was stating that, hey, if you vote for Barry Goldwater, he's a hawk, he's a warmonger, he's going to lead us back into war, and this is what it's going to look like. Here is Daisy. This Our future is Daisy. And it, like I said, it was so divisive, it only aired one time because the Goldwater campaign complained. Johnson pulled the ad, but it left imprints. Daisy left imprints, and he won the election. And we've seen it in recent times. Um, when Hillary Clinton was going against then-Senator Barack Obama, there was the 3 a.m. phone call campaign. And essentially what this was was they showed a family that was asleep in the middle of the night. They flashed to the White House. It's 3 a.m. The phone, the red phone rings. And do you trust a freshman senator out of Illinois to be prepared to take a 3 a.m. national security crisis phone call while you and your children are asleep? And this is only seven years after 9-11. We're in the midst of the Afghan and Iraq wars. They're playing upon the fear that people had about terrorist activity in the U.S. and the fact that we're overseas fighting terrorists. And we've seen this um, just recently, too, with the past presidential election, right? There were a number of ads on both sides of the aisle about ISIS, terrorism, illegal immigration, healthcare, Ebola, because there was the Ebola outbreak, national security, um, and other things that made people fearful that if you voted for the other guy, these were the bad things that were going to happen. So it's common to see it in political ads. But what about regular everyday sales? And this is something that is very common. People have used the term FUD to describe fear-based marketing. FUD is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. You use that because, again, people buy on emotion. They don't, uh, when you're trying to sell them something, they buy based on how they're feeling. It's very rare that people will actually buy based on, I don't want to say logical events, but kind of, very rarely are pe people rational enough to go home, sit down, do pluses and minuses. A lot of that has to do with how you feel about it. So there's a number of brands out there that use fear in their taglines. For example, there's L'Oreal. They have a tagline that says, because I'm worth it, which really is confronting self-loathing among women. FedEx has absolutely positively overnight. Again, that's addressing the fear of missing a deadline. Nike, just do it. Fear of missing out. IBM has one of the best FUD taglines ever. 1980s, they have this tagline that says, no one ever got fired for buying IBM. So if you have to buy computers, who are you going to buy? Well, I'm going to buy IBM because no one ever got fired for doing that. So again, you see it in marketing that fear is used over and over and over again to convince people to make a decision based on emotion. So that brings me to my marketing campaign. Was this fear marketing? So let me share with you the very intro to this campaign. So the campaign is called Are You Sitting Duck? And it says, Dear Fellow CEO, you, the owner of a small business, are under attack. Right now, extremely dangerous and well-funded cybercrime rings in China, Russia, and the Ukraine are using sophisticated software systems to hack into thousands of small businesses like yours to steal credit cards, client information, and swindle money directly out of your bank account. Some are even being funded by their own government to attack American businesses. 
Don't think you're in danger because you're small and not a big target like J.P. Morgan or Home Depot. Think again. 127,000 new malware threats are being released every single day, and half of the cyber attacks occurring are aimed at small businesses. You don't you just don't hear about it because it's kept quiet for fear of attracting bad PR lawsuits, data breach fines, and out of sheer embarrassment. In fact, the National Cybersecurity Alliance reports that one in five small businesses have been victims of cybercrime in the last year. And that number is growing rapidly as more businesses utilize cloud computing, mobile devices, and store more information online. Quite simply, most small businesses are low-hanging fruit to hackers due to their lack of adequate security systems, which is why I'm writing you today. So that's the intro. And the intro does have some very, I guess, uh, bold statements in there. So if I look at the statements individually, right, I'm making kind of three big points. One, hey, there are these cybercrime rings in foreign countries that are specifically attacking small businesses. Two, I sh- two is that people don't think they're in danger because they're a small business, but that's actually not true because there's all these threats and half of the tax are at small businesses. And then three, one of five businesses have been victims of cybercrime in the last year. So are they statements based off of fear? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm, they're truthful, but they're also to incite somebody to realize that this is a very big threat. And are they accurate? I mean, are the statements that I'm making accurate? And that, that to me is the big piece to this puzzle when it comes to fear mongering. And this goes back to the example and the definition. There's a difference when it says the political ads were fear mongering period. And the political ads were fear mongering and deceptive. Deceptive gives that added little wrinkle in there that what I, what somebody's telling you are lies is FedEx's statement about, um, you know, the priority delivery, right? Positively, absolutely positively overnight. Is that deceptive? No, they have an overnight service. So is what I'm talking about cybercrime deceptive? Is it accurate? Is it truthful? Well, it turns out it is all accurate. Now, if we look at the three points here, especially with the foreign governments, no foreign government is going to come out and say, yes, we have created a cyber security, uh, cyber crime rings to attack small businesses. No, there's no foreign government's ever going to say that. The U.S. government's not going to say that. However, the U.S. government has come out and stated, hey, there are nation state actors that are creating ransomware, that are creating viruses, malware, whatever, that are attacking businesses. That is their sole purpose. In fact, the U.S. just recently blamed Russia last year on the NotPetya ransomware. Now, if you don't remember that, that was a very big ransomware that affected hundreds of thousands of business across the world. There was a, a group of hackers that the Russian government said, hey, create this to destabilize the economy in, in the Ukraine. Well, they did, but it also spread beyond the borders of the Ukraine because, frankly, no small business or no uh, virus out there can actually only attack within a certain geographic boundary. It just doesn't work that way. So the statement about cybercrime rings in foreign countries, maybe it, it is accurate. Is it fear-based? Yep, it sure is, but it's accurate. So is that fear-mongering and deception? 
I'll leave that to the reader to determine. If we look further, cyber attacks against um, small businesses. Well, Verizon releases their data breach analysis report. Verizon has no skin in the game about what services that you own. They just go back through and they look at all the re- all the data breach reports that have been made. Here's what they came up with. From 2018, 58% of cyber attack victims were small businesses. Now, could I have stated there stated that in there? Probably. Would that have made it less fear-based? No, it still would be the same fact, just would it have the authority of the Verizon Data Breach Investigation Report. 127,000 new malware threats. Is that fear-based? Well, sure, that's scary. It's scary to me. Is it deceptive? Well, if you do the research, you can go to a number of websites. One in particular I recommend is AVTest, which is an independent IT security institute. They're based in Germany. They All they do is they take reports from the antivirus makers, because they all report this information, and they look at how many new pieces of malware have been created every, every month. They track it monthly. For January 2019, that number actually was closer to 301,000 new pieces of malware every single day. Now, could I have stated that from the uh, AV tests and Independent IT Security Institute, 127,000 new malware? Yeah, I could have. Would that have made a difference in this person's mind? I don't know. It Again, it's, it's fear-based marketing. I am trying to encourage somebody to make a change in their business because these are potential threats to their business. Now, if I look at all this information in the beginning of this, campaign. I mean, it's all up front. It's like, it hits you with three big points right off the bat. And is there fear mongering in cybersecurity? There is. I mean, there have been times that there have been retractions of statistics that have been stated because they've been incorrect or they haven't been proven to be truthful. And you see some of those that are thrown around on a lot of sites. So it's important when you are using statistics to educate people about a challenge to their business or a threat to their business that you do your research and make sure that you can back that information up. And so what are we to really kind of conclude from this? Well, there are, you know, there are a couple things. One is cybersecurity marketing, fear-based marketing or fear-mongering. Well, it is only if you don't believe that that threat exists or that you believe that you can't be a victim to it. So it is fear-based marketing. Is it deceptive? Again, only if you don't use accurate information or if you don't believe the information is truthful. And, and that's a whole nother ball of wax where we have fake news is a common term thrown around. Again, regardless of what side of the aisle that you are on, Can somebody look at this letter and say, oh, well, you know what? It doesn't state where she got this information. Clearly, she made this up to make me buy something from her. So we have to change how we're using fear-based marketing or FUD to our prospects. We can't just throw this stuff out there and expect them to believe it, especially if they're not educated on it. And so fear in marketing does work. 
but your audience has to be aware of the particular issue and you have to have enough supporting information to make them believe you. And we still make decisions based on fear. I mean, insurance is a great example of that. Many people buy, uh, let's use car insurance, will buy insurance that has a lower deductible because the idea of having to pay more out of pocket due to an accident is uncomfortable to them. It's not necessarily fear. It could be if they are somebody who lives paycheck to paycheck and if they get into an accident and their deductible is $5,000, there's some fear of, well, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to afford that. What am I going to do? So people will buy insurance that has lower deductibles. So when I get to the end of this, I realize, okay, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to do anything different? I am going to change a little bit of my marketing. I'm going to continue to use relevant fact-based information to continue to educate my prospects. If it induces fear, uncertainty, or doubt, FUD, to make them make a better decision to protect their business, I'm going to do that. But I'm going to also make sure that my information that I have in there has sources, for lack of a better term, so that they can go and see, hey, this is where she found this information. If they really want to take the time to research it as well, I'm going to provide that for them. I can't just expect them anymore to believe what I'm saying because, again, we're in a culture of fake news. I've got to have credibility about what I'm saying. This is no different than building credibility in all of your marketing. And I encourage you that if you're in a similar industry where that if the if your prospect doesn't do something, let's say you're a financial planner and they don't have life insurance or long-term care insurance, there could be some very serious consequences as a result of that. So if you're in an industry that has that type of um marketing where you need to educate them on, hey, if you don't do X, here here are the A through Z consequences of what's going to happen. It's important that when you are using FUD to market, that you use relevant fact-based information to educate your business. Make sure you're citing that information of where you're getting it from. And it's got to be credible. It can't just be you know, in hindsight, looking back at my thing, I can't just state there are well-funded cybercrime rings in China, Russia, and Ukraine. I've got to be able to point to where I'm getting that information. And it makes sense. It also makes marketing more challenging now. So I appreciate you all for listening. Fear-mongering has been an interesting learning experience. I'm going to make some changes in my marketing, and I hope you learned something as well. And I look forward to our second episode. Thanks, everyone.